following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship, St. Pete, in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. This is our fourth Sunday in the Advent calendar. There are different ways to do it. The way we've been doing it, the candles represent hope, peace, Last week, Tom did joy, and then this week is love, and we're going to be looking at how Christ was born and how love came down uh, to rescue us. Uh, so before, before we begin, let's open us uh, uh, our time together in a word of prayer and commit this time to God. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for uh, your great gift uh, to us. God, we thank you so much that your son came to us in the form of a little baby in such humility to come and rescue us in the place where we found ourselves in sin and in hopelessness. And God, we we pray that you would be with us as we open up this passage about a couple who was poor and in dire circumstances, but yet saw your faithfulness and saw um, you come to us in the form of a little baby. And Lord, I pray that you would give us faith and give us ears to hear. And we pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. So last week, um, Tom brought a message. It was so um, timely and so so moving as we saw Joseph and Mary and how Joseph was so faithful in stepping out in faith and doing what was impossible and following the dream that God had given him and, and taking Mary as his wife and following the directions of the angel and coming all the way down um, to Bethlehem with her. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read through... Uh, the Christmas story, essentially Luke 2, so turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we're going to be going through verse 1 through 21, and I'm going to begin by reading the first seven verses, and we're going to proceed from there. So let us start there in verse 1, Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, This was the first registration when Quinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So our story opens up, this classic Christmas story with all the familiar passages. It opens up with Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of Rome, making a decree that all the world should be registered. And they were being registered for taxation purposes. And in my research, as I prepared for this sermon, reading about Augustus, he, was, he had ascended uh, to the throne of Rome as the first emperor of Rome, and he was reforming the tax, the tax system, which had been horrendously corrupt. And one of the things that had to happen in order for the tax system to be fair was that everybody had to be registered so that they had an understanding within the provinces what the population actually was, and everybody had to return to their hometown. And normally this would have been inconvenient 
this would have been costly. This would have been annoying because we're talking about a foreign government with taxation, uh, without representation. Okay, this is taxation and oppression of a foreign government over the children of Israel who, who had a right to that land. And they would have had to, in the case of Joseph, travel all the way down to Bethlehem, his place of origin. A costly and dangerous journey, about 70 miles as the crow flies, but possibly 80, 90, 100 miles, depending on what route they would have taken. And this is further complicated by the fact that Mary is actually pregnant. She's pregnant, so she's traveling all this distance. And traveling back in those days was not so easy. And traveling while pregnant is not so easy anyway. My wife has gone through three pregnancies and I've been there with her and, and watched what that's all about. It's, it's not for the faint of heart. And Mary is doing this 2,000 years ago, maybe on a donkey. Now, this is tough. Mary and Joseph may not have been able to travel with those of their own town since Mary likely would have been ostracized for having been found being pregnant outside of wedlock. So here we see that this couple in this very difficult situation, but they're acting in obedience to what they were told to do because they had to. They're acting in obedience to a foreign government because they, they, they are submissive, as we should be, to our government. They're, they're, they're traveling to be registered. And we, as we move on, I'm going to continue as we move, uh, look at the, the next couple of verses. I'm going to read chapter uh, verse uh, 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, fear, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, for you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he has pleased. So the shepherds were keeping their flocks in much the same way as the children of Israel had in times past, where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had traversed in the land of Palestine that, that became Israel. And they had, they had been shepherds. And then later on, the children of Israel in Egypt, they had been shepherds in the land of Goshen. And then later on, 400 years later after that, there was David who would have been a shepherd in that very area in the same fields that these shepherds find themselves. He would have been a shepherd. And, and David, as a type of Christ, foretold in a typifying the reign of Christ that was to come. And so these shepherds, likely not literate, likely just the simple folk, see the angel. And they're filled with great fear. But the angel gives them words of encouragement, words about joy, words about hope and encouragement. For all people, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. 
And this was the prophecy, the prophecy of the Messiah, the prophecy that would be fulfilled in the town of Bethlehem. And as they're looking in this time of hardship, where a foreign government is taxing them, when there's a time of expectation and, but on the one hand, and then, and then hopelessness on the other hand, the angel appears to them and gives them great tidings of great joy. The sign, though, the sign, they're to go looking for the Messiah and find the baby. Just a baby, not a great leader, not a military commander. They're to go looking for a baby wrapped in swaddling clothing and, and lying in a manger. Now, this, is, this would have been a challenge to their faith because a manger is a feeding trough. It's not a crib. So they're looking now for the Messiah, but he's just a baby. And they're looking for a Messiah, and he's in an animal's feeding trough. However, the shepherds respond in faith. You might, they might wanted to have believed in their paradigm that the Messiah was going to be somebody who's going to encourage them by his, his connections to power. Maybe the son of Herod, maybe the son of a high priest, maybe the someone at least with connections to power. But now they're being told that this guy, this baby is born into a manger. Reading on in verse 15 through 21, when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. And what, as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So here the, here, here the shepherds are out in the fields. And when they hear what the angel has told them, they go. They take action. Immediately, they just leave their flocks behind. That's their livelihood. And they run and find the baby, just as was foretold. This is essentially the story of Christmas. They may have been, and, and they didn't miss it. They, they may have been tempted to one another experience. They may have been tempted to see the angels again. But they run to what they have been shown. Having gone through this, I want to go through a couple of points of application. Because I think this Christmas season, this story is just as relevant to us today as it was to the shepherds as it was to Mary and Joseph. First point of application, why to the shepherds? Why would, why would an angel come all the way from heaven and appear to these simple shepherds? Wouldn't he come to the priest, Zechariah? Wouldn't he come to the high priest? Wouldn't, he, uh, uh, wouldn't they appear above the temple to sing the glory of God or to speak the glory of God and announce the coming of the Messiah at the temple? But they appear to humble shepherds. But isn't that what we see as the pattern of God? 
appearing to the humble. We're going to see when, when Pastor Colin preaches about the wise men that God does reveal himself to the wise who are willing to seek in his word. Because the wise men search the scriptures and see that there's, there's a prophecy about a star. And when they see the star of Bethlehem, they respond in faith. But I doubt these shepherds were so wise and perceptive. I doubt that they, they were looking at scrolls and looking at the heavens and trying to figure out when the Messiah was coming. They were just tending sheep. They were there to receive the grace of God. Jesus talks about this uh, principle in Luke 10:21 when he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. We've, we'll find that out later when the Pharisees missed the whole thing, right? The angel didn't appear to them and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And all things have been handed over to me by my Father that no one, that, and no one knows the Son except the Father or the Father or, or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. God had chosen to reveal himself to shepherds. But there's another reason. These people would testify. Knowing what we now know about the Pharisees and the temple system, do you believe that if the angels had moved a couple miles northwest to uh, Jerusalem and appeared above the temple, that all of the Pharisees would have told everyone. Because that's the purpose here, right? They, they go about telling in the, in, the, in the hill country of Judah that a Savior has been born. Do you believe the same things about the Pharisees, that they would have gone about the hill country teaching that the Messiah has been born in Bethlehem, just as the prophets has, have foretold? God reaches to the humble and to the lowly to be used by him to bless others. Because when they went and they, they shared this message, it created a, a, an atmosphere and, 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 a, and, a, and a, a foundation of, of anticipation, a, a sort of expecting that would lead to the foundation of the expectation that, that led to John's ministry. And then John creating even more expectation that led to Jesus' ministry. And then the miracles and the teachings of Jesus that led to the 12 establishing the church. It all really starts here, doesn't it? The movement. John the Baptist with his pregnancy, with, with, with um, Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist and, and how they, they were chattering in the, in the hill country about that just as much as they would have been talking about this. And so there's an, there's an aspect of, of expectation Second point of application, tough circumstances. Mary and Joseph found themselves in some very dire circumstances. And some of you have come here this morning also in some very dire circumstances. Christmas sometimes is a hard, hard time of year to approach for people who have lost people, people who have, are, are experiencing um, hard, hardships in their family. Mary and Joseph we're also facing tough circumstances. Taxation at a difficult time. Why did it have to happen that down through the ages, a series of events taking place that would lead to Caesar Augustus 
making a decree at just the time that Mary would be nine months pregnant. That they would have to make that journey just when she was nine months pregnant. Couldn't it have been before that? They could have also said, couldn't I have been found pregnant with the Holy Ghost after we were actually married? Right? We could have still not consummated the the marriage, but then it needed to be known that it was a virgin birth. It needed to be something that people could look at and say, "This this is the fulfillment of the ancient prophecy and respond in faith. And when the pregnancy came at the time of the registration, it had, to be, it had to be something that would draw them out of Nazareth, down to Bethlehem, where the prophecy was to be fulfilled. It had to happen then. Why did they have to come all the way down? They had to come all the way down and get there so late that the inn was full. So now we've got a decree of Caesar. We've got an inconvenient pregnancy with inconvenient times. We've got a long journey. And now the crowning circumstance is that when they've come to the inn, there's actually no room. But she's pregnant. She's pregnant. Probably already having labor, labor pains. And in desperation, they have to turn toward the stable. But again, it had to be kind of in an out side areas so that the shepherds could find if they would have gone into the inn the shepherds knocking on the door uh, isn't there supposed to be a baby here they're like get out of here they're in the but they're out in the stable so when the so when the angel tells them what to look for it's so crazy it's so ludicrous that a baby would be at a feeding trough that when they see it they're like well this must be the fulfillment because this is the sign They might have expected that angels would have been there, but there weren't angels there. There was no shaft of light. I know the video shows a shaft of light. There's no shaft of light that the the Bible talks about. They were in a stable, and when they came, they found Mary and Joseph, a poor couple with a baby in a tough situation with a baby in a feeding trough. And now that becomes the sign. That could have challenged some of their faith. They could have been like, well, we know from the Bible, though, that The Messiah is a king. This can't, something's not right here. This can't be right. But instead, what do we see? They tell everybody. They respond in faith. And people begin to hear about Christ. Tough circumstances. As I was preparing for this, I wanted to come up with some truth that would just take the pain away from some of, some of you. Some truth, some, some insight that would just make everything better, but that's not the way it works, is it? Sometimes we have to go through things and we don't understand the reason why, but later on we'll see the reason why. Sometimes we gotta go through hard times that exposes strongholds that we didn't even know that we had. Sometimes we have to go through hard times so that Christ can show up, God can show up in your life and the Holy Spirit can give you the strength to get through it. When we look in the Bible, we don't see the ancient heroes of the Bible overcoming easy circumstances. The story wouldn't be compelling with easy circumstances. They overcome dire circumstances. And the dire circumstances of Mary and Joseph here are met with the grace and the strength of the Lord to make it through. And in hindsight, with Mary treasuring all these things in her heart and thinking of it, she starts to see the purposes of all this. God 
came all the way from earth, from, from heaven to be born on earth in a feeding trough. Third point, unlikely savior. They came to a stable and found animals, a poor couple, a newborn, and that was supposed to mean something to them. And that's something to, and that's supposed to mean something to us too. The desperate condition of that oppressed, impoverished nation of Israel, the impoverished family in a stable is like some of our lives or impoverished. And God looked down from heaven and he saw that the world needed help. Not just Israel, but everybody. The Romans and the tribes of the earth were in darkness with no hope. He had already sent them prophets. He had sent them the message and the commands and the Old Testament. And still, there was no real answer for sin. And so God came down himself to enter into our mess. To live a perfect life that whoever believes in him can live forever. I was trying to come up with a, an illustration for this. And um, as a parent, the thing that came to my mind was a father with his son. My son is four years old. About a year ago, almost to the day, um, three years old, uh, there was an interesting thing that, I, that occurred within the context of our family that I thought would make an excellent sermon illustration. We'll see. Want to show the picture? This is my son's room. This is the expectation. Okay? Now... That took hours to put, uh, Julie, my wife, and the three kids did that. It looked great. And I came in, I was like, this is fantastic. We're going to keep it this way. That's our New Year's resolution, I guess. And the kids understood the expectation. So I went into the bedroom. I believe I was folding, folding clothes. I was in there for about five, ten minutes. And um, I came back. Next picture. <laughs> this is the work of my three-year-old son in about five to ten minutes, an absolute disaster. I said, Christopher, clean it up. My expectation is that you maintain order in your room. Clean it up now. Now, if I had closed the door and gone back to folding clothes and come back an hour later, what do you think... Go back to the other picture. Would it have looked like that? <laughs> no, there would have been property damage, likely. Christopher does not have the ability to clean up his own mess. He does not have that ability. However, I still held him accountable. I said, you're going to help clean this up, and you're not going to stop cleaning until it's clean. But who really cleaned it up? I got down on the floor with my son, you can go back to the other picture, and started rolling around in that, picking everything up, these little balls, they shed lint and they get in between, I was like scraping it out between the hardwood floor, 
And I was there for a while with my son in the trenches cleaning until it was clean. And that's the state the world is in. It's a mess. He's left, he left us in charge of the world. He left Adam and Eve. They fell into sin. And they proceeded to make a mess out of everything. Made a mess out of marriage. Make a mess out of family. Make a mess out of kids. Make a mess out of make a mess with war. Make a mess with pollution. Make a mess with lies. Make a mess with deception, extortion, inequality, murder, theft, adultery. All these things. It's a mess. And God sent a message. I love to use Leilani as a messenger. She's such a, a great messenger. I tell her, I want you to tell Abigail and Christopher to get along. She does. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. If I would have told her, I want you to send a message to, to um, Christopher, clean it up. That would have been great. He would have been hearing the voice of his father through uh, another agent. <laughs> and God sent prophets. He sent messages and the prophecy was being fulfilled and people were responding by faith, but it wasn't enough. He had to come all the way down into our mess. He had to get down into the mud and be with us in our mess. And he calls us to participate, as I call my son to participate. But it's not us that really does it. It's him that does it. It's him that cleans up the mess of our lives. And the world is a mess, and some of our lives are a mess. Some of our lives, we look at our marriage, and it looks like that. It's a disaster. Our kids, their spiritual life looks like that. Our kids have made a mess of our lives, or our spouse have made a mess of our lives, or we've made a mess of our, our marriage, or our boss has made a mess of our lives, or something. Some terrible circumstances come against us. And we try to clean it up on our own, and what does it do? It just makes it worse. Christopher on his own would have just pulled out more things. And, and if you're going to try to approach your problems on your own, you're just going to pull out more things and make it even worse. You need Christ to enter into that with you. And Christ came all the way from heaven to be born as a little baby. And he wants to come all the way from heaven to be born into your heart this Christmas. He wants to come into your life just as he came into a manger, just as he came to the world and to Israel and to, and to everything that was going on and be a part of that. In Matthew 11, come to me, all you, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that stable, there were probably yokes. Somebody said in Bible study, there were probably yokes hanging there, right? His yoke is now what we're called to take upon us. But if you had tarried, if you had been one of the... As I approach this, I, I'm afraid because, you know, if you had been one of these shepherds and you had just kind of waited and you just kind of were like, well, I need to stay with the sheep. I don't know what's going to happen to them. Um, and you would have doubted. Because sometimes we find the most ridiculous ways to doubt. An angel appears, a host, 
And somebody was still doubting, just as the disciples were still doubting when Jesus rose from the dead. And if they would have delayed the command of the angel, and been like, well, this whole week's not good for me. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And then they would have come later to the, temp, to, the, to the stable. What would they have found? They would have found it empty. They would have found it an empty manger, a feeding trough that was filled with nothing but perhaps hay. And they would have found some very um, just simple animals with their vacant stares as they're gnawing on hay, a dark stable, empty. And if they would have waited longer and the star sign would have passed overhead. And they're like, wow, I really should find this Messiah. I can't keep canceling on that. And then they wait a week. Well, we know when Pastor Colin preaches about this, they left in the middle of the night after the star sign. And if they would have come to the house, Mary and Joseph fled that night to Egypt, never to return to Bethlehem again except perhaps to to pass through up to Nazareth because Joseph again had a dream and the angel warned him again and he ended up going all the way back to where they had started in Nazareth. You would have found that house empty. No wise men, no gold, frankincense and myrrh. It's too late. And my fear is that if, as we approach the Christmas story and we miss what it's really about and we get distracted by Santa Claus and Rudolph and all the fun things and the gifts that we're going to get on our sorrow and our problems and our messes that we make and we get all distracted by those things and we miss the reason for the season and we miss Jesus in a manger because this this Christmas, Jesus is in the manger now for you. He's here for many. I believe there, there are probably some here where this Christmas is when God is really just calling you and the baby is in the manger and Mary and Joseph are there and don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't get all distracted. And then all of a sudden New Year's is here. And then all of a sudden the next thing is here and the next and the next. And you come all the way around and it's too late. You just go on with your life. There's a God-shaped hole in each one of us. It can't be filled by gifts. It can't be filled with, by, by good circumstances. Mary and Joseph wouldn't have been suddenly fulfilled by having four-star hotels all the way, every stop of the way, and a pristine medical facility where she could get an epidural and have a kid and... All that. And it's like, oh, I'm so fulfilled now. No, that does, that's not where fulfillment comes from. Good circumstances don't bring you fulfillment. They bring you emptiness. Some of the most empty people are those where everything just happened to work out and they're just wondering why they're so, why they're so empty. And the greatest gift that God can give you is himself. That's the ultimate gift. That's why somebody had a fantastic idea to put it like a present in here. It's kind of like, well, that's why we give presents, isn't it? Because... Jesus was God's gift. It was his present to us, our, his, the ultimate Christmas present. The greatest gift that God can give you is himself, the fulfilling knowledge of him, the gospel, the Holy Spirit who fill, fulfills us and gives us love and joy and peace and all of the benefits that come with eternal life. 
So bringing it all back around, the advent, there's hope. The first candle represents hope. Hope in the word of God. Hope in the prophecies. Hope that God would look down and see and send his gift. Hope that the Messiah would come. Peace. We had that video that explains shalom is like a, a fullness. When the Holy Spirit comes and, and brings you salvation, there's a fullness there that the world can never supply. The third candle, joy. When, when the Holy Spirit comes, when we accept this whole story of Jesus being born in the manger for ourselves and the sacrifice and the gospel, joy comes to us. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And then finally, love. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And when Jesus came all the way from heaven, all the way down to be born, he was giving up his status. It says in Philippians uh, Philippians 2, he thought equality with God, not something to be grasped onto. If he did, he would have never come because that had to be veiled in humanity. And he had to take the station of somebody who was a human being and not just a human being, a lowly carpenter. He laid down his life, the love of God, pictured in a stable And so I want each one of us to meditate on this. There's just nothing but joy here. There's nothing but but peace, hope, and love. Let Let this Christmas season be about thinking about Him, following Him, pursuing Him, thinking about when the gifts are given, think, yeah, but there's there's a there's one gift that that goes beyond them all. It goes beyond the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. And it goes beyond all that. It's God's gift to us himself. So I hope that's a blessing to you this, this Christmas. And may God bless each one of you. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.